Okay. Hello, everybody. Once again, welcome to the Bible study, to the Bible study group of uh, um, Spiritual Conversation with Minister Mercy. That is our podcast um, channel. So once again, we have gathered together to continue with our um, study of John's Gospel. We're still on John chapter 4. And this session is um, the fifth session since we started. So we're going to um, start at um, John chapter 4, verse 25 to 56. So I'm going to read that, but I won't read the whole um, verse until, you know, we'll just take it um, one by one and just explain um you know, the verses as we go along, because we seem to be doing this verse by verse. So I will start from verse 25. You know, the previous verses we, we, we read where Jesus encountered the Samaritan woman and um, also the things they talked about. Um, Jesus was referring to the living water while she was referring to the natural water. We also saw how she was um, ostracized in her community due to having five husbands previously. And Jesus discerned that this was her issue. And this was why she was ostracized in her community and why she was coming to the well at um, 12 noon when the sun was very high and in order to avoid people. So when uh, Jesus pointed this out to her, um, she also diverted and started talking about the place of worship. But Jesus pointed out to her that uh, the place of worship is not the issue. The most important thing is who you're worshipping and your method of worship. So that's where we are at at the moment. So we also saw, you know, where she, um, when the disciples then came back, his disciples went to collect food. And when they came back, they saw him talking to this woman. But nobody had, uh, none of them had the courage to ask him why he was talking to a Samaritan woman. So the woman left her water jug and went back to the village and started talking to the people about who she has encountered. So from there, we sort of uh, discerned the method of evangelism that, um, you know, that was speaking to us through um, uh, what, she, what she did. So in a way, evangelism is when you have an encounter with the Lord Jesus you go and tell other people, you know, you go and tell other people, you invite them to church and for them to have their own personal encounter with him. Because once the villagers came and saw Jesus, they said to the woman, we believe now, not because you told us, we've believed because we have seen him ourselves. And that's how it should be really, you know, in our Christian walk. When you do your evangelism, you talk to people about your experience, your encounter with the Lord, and then if they are convinced and then come to church, they themselves should meet Jesus in our church. But unfortunately, the spirit of God is not in our churches. Therefore, people do not really have an encounter with the living God. And, you know, they get disillusioned and then they move on and leave the church. So this is where we are at. So now we're going to start from verse 25. I will read it. That is um, John chapter 4 from verse 25 now. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Verse 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, I am he. 
And at this point, his disciples then came back, okay? They came back. So after Jesus, this is then where I'm going to now discuss verse 25 and 26. So after Jesus has spoken to the woman about the place of worship and who is being worshipped, that God is spirit and not a physical being. The woman had the revelation that this person talking to her might be the Messiah. Both the Jews and the Samaritans have been expecting. The woman you know, said in verse 25, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. So meaning, the, you know, meaning the Messiah, when he comes, he will explain every, everything concerning God and how to worship him, you know, to them. So meaning the Messiah will have all the truth about God. So this is what this woman is implying, that the Messiah will have all the truth about God. So this is the reason Jesus is the truth. You know, he is the truth. And he alone knows the truth about God, our creator, because he, he, he came from God. He, Jesus came from God. Jesus is the word of God. Is the word of God manifested in the flesh. So therefore, he knows everything about God. You know, he knows everything about God. This is the reason Jesus said in Matthew 11, 27, my father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the son except the father and no one truly knows the father except the son and those to whom the son choose to reveal him. Those the son, you know, choose to reveal him. You know, I've come to realize that everything in the Bible is true, you know, is completely true. Every word Jesus spoke in the Bible is completely true. The reason I'm saying this is... Um, you know, I'm just getting shivers all over my body. I remember the, the, you know, the time I had an encounter with Jesus. It was uh, through a vision. It was through a vision. And then after several months of consistent praying and seeking him, he then appeared to me again in a vision. And he took me to the throne room of God. He took my spirit to the throne room of God. You know, when I went to the throne room of God, I saw myself in the throne room. I felt I was like a, a little sand at the feet of the Lord, at the feet of God himself. Okay. It's like a, I was like a little cloud, but I felt like a, a grain of sand at the feet of God. You know, what I saw on the throne room, it was God himself was, he was sitting on his throne. He was massive or this massive giant and his, his head was in a cloud. I couldn't see his head. It was in a cloud. But as I, as I stood there, you know, I was just floating like a cloud, you know, spirit, just wind really. You're, when you're in the spirit, you are like a wind. So I was just floating about. And then, the, you know, the father brought his head out of the cloud and I felt so dirty, you know, the holiness, hey, the holiness, I shrank back. And Jesus was just sitting there watching my reaction. <laughs> I remember that. It's been almost 10 years now, and I still remember every detail. Jesus was just sitting there watching my reaction. So when the father brought his head out of the cloud, the holiness of him, I shrank back and I felt so dirty within me. And now I understand why Isaiah 
you know, in Isaiah, um, I think it's chapter one, verse six, where he said, I saw the Lord high and seated high. And, you know, he said, oh, whoa, me, who, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm, he says that I'm a man with a, an unclean lips and I live among people unclean lips. That's how you feel, you know, that's how you feel when you are in the presence of God. You feel dirty, you feel dirty, unclean, but gradually, 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 that feeling goes away. And then you start interacting with him. Okay, so when Jesus says here that it's only the father that knows him and he is the only one that knows the father and the people he chooses to reveal the father to. This is a true statement here. I've experienced it. It's true statement here. Okay, so that's what I wanted to share with you that everything Jesus speaks in this Bible is true and is real. And we should put it in practice. We shouldn't just take it as words. It's not just words. It is real. It is real. And those who have had those encountered know that it is real. Okay. So in verse, um, uh, verse 26, then Jesus said to her, told her, I am the Messiah. Okay. I am the Messiah. Okay. So in a society where women are looked at as inferior, being, you know, uh, so where a teacher of the law, rabbi, they, they, they do not speak to women publicly. They do not speak to women publicly. But here, Jesus is interacting inter with this uh, Samaritan woman. And if you notice in the scriptures, there is no other verse where Jesus came out and said, yes, I am the Messiah. It is only in this verse that he revealed himself to this woman, because the other times people were asking him, are you the Messiah? Tell us if you're the Messiah or not. He never said he was, you know, they just kept guessing. They just kept guessing. It was only Peter that said, you are the son of God, okay? And, and when then Jesus said, you know, flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, only my father have revealed this to you. So he didn't actually tell Peter, yes, I am the Messiah. He just said, yes, I am the son of God. Okay. So in here, Jesus revealed himself to this woman. He revealed himself to this woman. So this is the person Jesus chose to reveal his identity to. This is the only verse Jesus actually came out and said, yes, I am the Messiah. In other verses, people kept on guessing whether he is the Messiah or not. Okay, so this shows us the kind of respect Jesus had for women. He respected women. Okay, he did not see women as, as you know, as how the society saw them in his earthly journey. You know, he did not see women like that. And nothing has changed in our days. Jesus still values women. He still values women a lot. And one of the reasons I feel uh, that Paul wrote in, in uh, I think it was the, in the book of Corinthians, where he said women should not talk in church and women should not teach. I don't, uh, that revelation did not come from Jesus himself. I felt because in those days, women are not educated. They don't know anything about the Torah, about the scriptures. So what are they going to be teaching? Okay. So the reason he told them not to talk in church, because as the preaching was going on, the women will keep asking their husband, what is he saying? What is he saying? What, you know, so the, the men have to keep on um, helping the women to explain. 
and there was a lot of noise. So Paul then said, women should not talk in church, <laughs> okay? And that, that about the teaching, what are they going to teach? They weren't educated. They weren't educated. So if that revelation came from God, God will not give women anointing to teach. He will not appoint them as ministers in our time. Our time has changed. A lot of women are having encounters with the Lord Jesus and he's anointing them in their own right to minister, to be ministers, okay? So these churches that are so, you know, um, how will I put it, adamant that women will not start, stand in the pulpit. I feel sorry for them because that is not the will of God. And if we should also remember that in the realms of the spirit, there's no male or female. There's no Jew or Greek. We are all just one, sons of God. That's what we are. Okay, that's what we are. So um, as we're saying, Jesus values women. We and our men folks have our own roles to play in his kingdom business. We have our own roles. Women have a role to play in the business of God and men have their own role to play, okay? Remember, the initial plan of God was for Eve to be a helpmate to Adam. He, she was to help Adam in whatever they were doing in tendering to the garden, okay? So in verse um, 27 to 28, when the disciples of uh, Jesus came back and joined him at the well, they were surprised that he was talking to this woman and a Samaritan woman for that matter, but they did not have the courage to ask him questions about it. But the woman on her part was so excited about who she has discovered that she left her port, you know, her water pot and ran back to the village to inform everybody she met on her way. This is how it feels when, um, you know, when you have had a genuine encounter with the Lord, with the Holy Spirit, this is how, how it feels, <clears throat> okay? You know, you are so excited. You are so excited. And all you want to do is share your discovery. All you want to do is share this amazing experience you have had with everybody, you know? Your eyes has been opened to the truth and you want everybody to have the same experience. You know, you want them to have the same experience you just had, the same spiritual experience. Okay. So if anybody who says they are born again Christian and does not have the desire to share the experience, you know, even with their uh, family members, even with their family members, talk less with people from outside their family circle. You know, the truth is they have not really encountered the real Jesus Christ of Nazareth. They haven't. They haven't really encountered him. Okay, because if you feel shy and you're afraid to share the gospel, that means you haven't had a genuine born again experience. Because when you encounter the real Jesus, your fear of people go. You don't have fear of man. Or you, you have this boldness, this holy boldness in you, you know, to share what has been imparted in you, to share what you have encountered, okay? So the truth of the matter is when you have had the real born again experience and experienced the presence of the living Messiah, nobody can shut you up. Nobody can shut you up. This is the reason when you see these ministers outside in the streets preaching and people are heckling them, they don't care. 
They don't care because they know what they're doing. They know the spirit that is in them. Okay. So um, nobody can shut you up. And, um, you know, you lose your inhibitions. You lose your inhibitions and your shyness. All you want to do is tell people about him. That's all you want to do. Tell people about him. Whether they want to listen or not, you just keep talking, sowing that seed. You keep talking, sowing that seed. Eventually, the spirit of God will do something with the seed you have planted in that person. You know, the spirit of God will do something with that seed you have planted in that person's heart. The Bible tells us that God's word will not return to him void. What this tells us is that God's word will eventually, will eventually return to the one who released it first. That is God himself. That is God himself. His word is his thoughts. His word is his thought. And his thoughts will always bear fruit. His thoughts will always bear fruit. His thoughts are not futile. You know, his thoughts are not futile like man's thought. Futile means useless. Remember the Bible, in, in the Bible, God says that man's thoughts are futile. Futile means useless. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't produce any good fruit. <laughs> yes. It doesn't produce any good fruit in the sight of God. Our thought doesn't produce any good fruit in the sight of God. Okay, so when you have encountered the living God and you open your mouth and you speak to people about him, the spirit of God in you, the light will now draw people to him. That is the light of the Holy Spirit that is in you will now draw people to him. Okay, this is what um, happened with the Samaritan woman. That's what happened with the Samaritan woman. So let's have a look at um, verse 30. Verse 30, it says, Then they went out of the city and came to him. Verse 31, In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought food? Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Okay. So the people came streaming from the village to see him because the woman has spoken to them about Jesus, okay? So meanwhile, as it, the disciples are urging him to eat, but Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. I have a kind of food that you know nothing about. And verse 33 says, you know, they were saying, did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then verse 34, then Jesus explained then my nourishment, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Okay. So what Jesus is saying to his disciples is uh, the food that has filled him up is the work of the Lord that, you know, the Lord sent him to do. That is to bring souls back to him. So in verse 31, the disciples were then urging Jesus to talk, to take physical bread. They were talking about physical bread to sustain his physical body. But Jesus was focused on the spiritual. He was focused on the spiritual, the work God has ordained, you know, ordained uh, for him to do. Yet for him to do this work, he still had to feed on God's spiritual food. He still had to feed on God's spiritual food. You know, he still have to feed on God's spiritual food. And remember, in his temptation by Satan, in his wilderness experience, 
Remember, in his temptation by Satan in the wilderness, you know, Satan told him to turn stones into bread to prove that he indeed was the son of God. Okay. You know, Satan as well was focusing on physical nourishment. So when Satan told him to do that, Satan himself was also focusing on physical nourishment because hunger is one of the lusts of the flesh. So what Satan was telling Jesus, why don't you satisfy this physical lust for hunger you have? But Jesus said to him, it is written, it is written, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Every word that comes from the mouth of God. So the, the word of God is the spiritual bread we need in order to have the ability and the power to carry out the work of God. You know, the work God has set out for us to do, which is the salvation of souls, which is the salvation of souls. So when you have done this work, you feel spiritually satisfied. You feel spiritually satisfied. Physical hunger does not even, you know, get a look in. It does not even get a look in. This is why people can fast for 40 days without food, because they are receiving the spiritual food. The word of God is food. It fills up our stomach, you know, our spiritual stomach. And when your spiritual stomach is full, it suppresses your physical stomach. You don't even feel hungry. That was what Jesus was saying. Okay. That was what Jesus was saying. So this was the state Jesus was at when he led the Samaritan woman into salvation, okay? I don't know whether you guys have led anybody to, to believe in Jesus and to salvation, but the joy that comes out of it is like you have won a lottery, I tell you. When a one soul gives their life to Jesus, genuinely gives their life to Jesus, and you start mentoring them and you see how they're progressing, it gives you so much joy. So this is what the Lord is saying, his nourishment, He's doing the work the father sent him to do. So the nourishment Jesus was speaking of was his spiritual nourishment. His spiritual nourishment comes from doing God's will, from doing God's will. Hallelujah. And in this case, helping to bring his work of salvation to this woman helping to bring his work of salvation to this woman. So for us, it includes more than Bible study, prayer, and attending church. We are nourished not only by what we take in, but also by what we give out, by what we give out. This is how Jesus was nourished. He was nourished by the gift of God, the, 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 the um, living water that flowed from him into this woman. And when she gave her life to Jesus and then went out to get the villagers, that gave him a satisfaction in his uh, spiritual stomach that even the physical hunger didn't uh, have a look in at all, okay? And uh, that is true. That is how he actually feels. When you have led somebody to, to the Lord, there's, so, there's a, a fullness of joy inside of you that you, you, even if you're hungry, you don't even feel it, okay? So let's have a look at verse, verse 35. Verse 35 says, let's go back to verse, um, verse 34. Jesus said to them, 
my food is to do the will of God who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. They are already white, ready for, har for um, harvest. And then verse 36, and he who reaps receive wages and gathers fruit to eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. Verse 37, for in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. So <clears throat> this verse helps us to understand how much Jesus was so focused on the work the Father has sent him to do. Jesus taught his um, disciples to see the world as he saw it, as a great harvest of souls, as a great harvest of souls, okay? Ready to enter the kingdom of God. And it's the same thing with us now. The world is full of people who are ready to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the problem is the gospel we are preaching in our churches is not the right gospel that will convict them. It's not the right gospel that will bring souls to the kingdom. Instead, what, what, what we are preaching is the gospel of men. And what the gospel of men actually does is to spoil the harvest. It's to spoil the harvest. What it does, it creates, uh, you know, a religious uh, mindset that even when the spirit of God wants to come in, the mindset will not allow it. The stronghold will not allow it. So what it means that the enemy have gone in and sown tears, you know, has gone in and sown tears among the harvest. So the world was ready for the gospel and the disciples were to do the reaping, the gospel. You know, the harvest was ready. And our work is to do the reaping. But instead of reaping with the right tools, we're reaping with the worldly tools and building a worldly mindset. Ultimately, Jesus would sow by giving his life on the cross so others could reap a harvest of souls. Okay. The, the cross was him sowing. That was, that's what Calvary represented. He was sowing his life. This is why he said, unless a seed dies, then it will produce many other crops. He died and many other crops have now been produced. But instead of us reaping with the right tools, we are reaping with the wrong tools. But the most unfortunate thing we have witnessed in this our generation of church age, Satan has corrupted the minds and souls of some men and women of God, the workers who were employed by God to sow the incorruptible seed. God's word is incorruptible. It's incorruptible. But instead of sowing the incorruptible seed, what we are, what we are hearing in our churches is worldly seeds, man's gospel. And man's gospel is correct, correct, corruptible, is corrupted. <laughs> it's corrupted seed. It's corrupted seed because it's in control. Hallelujah. So um, 
God employs us as workers, as disciples, to sow incorruptible seeds of the gospel. Rather, rather than sowing the incorruptible seeds of the word of God, you know, you know, through their corrupted minds. That's what it is. Because their mind, their, their strongholds in their mind are corrupted by Satan. And this is why they're able to sow corrupted seeds. Corrupted seeds. So <clears throat> through their corrupted minds, Satan has sown his own corrupted gospel in the form of the prosperity gospel and the hyper grace, the hyper grace gospel. That does nothing for mankind apart from leading them deeper into the pits of hell. That's what those gospel does. It leads you, you know, deeper into the pits of hell. But Jesus said the gates of Hades will not prevail against his church. The Lord is now raising up a remnant. He's raising up a remnant that will carry his pure incorruptible gospel. The pure word of God without compromise to the world. You know, they will not compromise on the word of God. They will not. They will not compromise. And as you, as a, a, a born again Christian, and you're moving in the spirit of God, one thing you should promise God is that you will never compromise on his word. That's a promise I made to him 12 years ago. I said, Lord, I would never compromise on your word. And when you give him that promise, and you continue to obey him and whatever he tells you to do, you do it. You continue to obey him. You will see, he will continue to give you more anointing, more revelation. If you see the revelation the Lord is giving me this past two or three years, it's amazing. You know, it's amazing. This is what he does. When you're obedient and you promise him that you will be obedient and you will not compromise. The reason pastors compromise is because their congregation want to hear what they want to hear. They want to hear gospels that will edify them, you know, tickle their, 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 their flesh. They don't want to hear gospel that will tell them the truth, to tell them that you're doing things wrong, that you're a sinner, you're living in sin. How can you be a Christian and you're fornicating and sinning and you think you're worshiping the real God? God is holy. God is holy. It's got nothing to do with corruption. Corruption of the flesh. He's telling us to you know, crucify the flesh on the cross. Carry your cross and follow him. You have to go through the fires of refinement. Christianity is not a bed of roses. It's pain, suffering, and sacrifices. That's what it is. Jesus went through it. So why don't we do our own part? Hallelujah. So let's get back to what we're talking about. So as I said, like Jesus said, you know, that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. So the Lord is now raising up a remnant that will carry his pure, incorruptible gospel, the pure word of God, without compromise, without compromising his word, you know, without compromising. So he is releasing his children from the mindset of religion. He's releasing them from the mindset of religion where the corrupted gospel of Satan has placed them. The problem is, the problem is you cannot put a new wine into an old wine skin. That is the problem. Unless the wine skin is willing and prepared to allow the spirit of God to help it pull down the corrupted religious mindset, Satan's gospel, you know, 
the gospel Satan has erected in their mind because nothing is impossible for God to do. Nothing is impossible. All he wants is your willingness and your submission. That's why, you know, in James, he said, submit to God and resist the devil. You don't resist the devil and then you try to submit to God. No, you submit to God first. Let him deal with your corrupted mindset. And then when the devil comes, you will be able to resist him because you've got nothing of the devil in you. You have nothing of the devil in you anymore. The darkness have gone. So you are able to resist him. He will go. Just like Jesus said, you know, the, 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 the prince of this world is coming, but he has nothing in me. There was nothing of darkness in Jesus, so the devil could not do anything to him. Hallelujah. Some Christians are intimidated or even embarrassed in sharing their faith, even with their family members or friends. Their excuse being that they are not ready to believe. But verse 35, as we have just read, it says, But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are ready, ripe for harvest. If this is the type of attitude we have when it comes to sharing the gospel, we need to ask ourselves, are we really born again? Do we have the baptism of the Holy Spirit? When the Holy Spirit is genuinely in your heart, you know, you cannot help yourself from sharing the gospel. You will have this desire to share the gospel. One of the works of the Holy Spirit is to convict people of sin, is to convict people of sin. Jesus makes it clear in this verse that around us, a continual harvest waits to be ripped. A continual harvest waits to be ripped. We should look around us, okay? We will find people ready to hear God's word, the real God's word, the pure God's word. They're ready. In verse um, 36, Jesus talked about wages for both the planter and the harvester. Okay, he says they are paid good wages. Let's read that, verse 36. Hallelujah. Verse 36, Jesus said, And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. May rejoice together. So Jesus talks about wages for both the planter and the harvester. He said they are paid good wages. The wages Jesus offers are the joy of working for him and seeing the harvest of believers, of seeing the harvest of believers come into the kingdom. So these wages come to planters and harvesters alike, okay? Because both find joy in seeing new believers come into Christ's kingdom, as well as seeing their own prayers being answered. These bring joy and happiness. For the workers of Christ's kingdom. Just um, you know, just as it, it is written in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, where the Lord says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. And that is true. When you put his kingdom first, and what is the, the main thing of his kingdom is souls. When you work for him, and your main purpose is to bring souls into his kingdom. You obey him, you listen to him, you have the Holy Spirit guiding you, you know, he will tell you what to do and you will do it. That means you're taking care of the things of his kingdom. And then whatever you ask him, he will do it for you. He will do it for you. You know, some people, when they read this scripture, they think, you know, seeking the things of uh, 
the kingdom is only seeking the blessings of God. Is <laughs> only seeking the blessings of God. No, it's not seeking the blessings of God. It's seeking the things in his heart. You ask God what is, what is in your heart. The thing that is in his heart is souls. That's the most important thing on this earth. Bringing souls into the kingdom. Okay. One of the, I'm going to share something the Lord has just given me recently. Okay. You know, <laughs> some Christians think that Christianity is about giving your life to Jesus and then you live a sinless life as you can here. And then when you die, you go to heaven. No, it's not like that though. The main purpose of our salvation is to come back to Eden. Is to come back to Eden in the garden. Eden was a spiritual place. It wasn't a physical place. Like how some of us read it in the Bible. It's not a physical place. So it's a spiritual dimension in the realms of the spirit. It's a, it's, it's a, Eden is the garden of God. That is where he goes to you know, have fellowship with man. When you truly become a born again Christian and you go through the fires of refinement, you will see your spirit will go to Eden and the Lord, you go and eat from the fruit of life, the tree of life. The tree of life is Jesus. In the garden of Eden, Jesus is there. You know, when, you know, when I pray, I find my spirit in the garden. We have a seat where we sit, we'll be talking and he'll be telling me things and he'll be eating. He will give you fruit. I've eaten the fruit. The fruit is like, um, how will I describe it? It's, the picture I'm getting is similar to sour sop. You know, sour sop, that white stuff inside with the prickly things. In, at the, yes, that's the fruit I'm seeing in the spirit now. It's like sour sop. That's the fruit you get. Fruit is actually, the, the tree is actually the spirit of knowledge that will give you revelations of the things of God. That was what Adam and Eve were meant to eat from. They were meant to eat from the tree of, of you know, the, those trees there, the certain knowledges they are supposed to eat from that will help them to become more in the image of God. So this is when the Lord told me to go and bring his children back. So what he's saying is bring them back to Eden. That is help them with their spirituality. It's not about carnality, it's not about flesh. It's about operating in the realms of the spirit. And because if, if God, why will God create a physical world? This physical world is a prison that has entrapped our soul. It has entrapped our soul. This is why the earth is groaning. They are waiting. The, soul, the, the earth is waiting for the manifestations of the sons of God. The sons of God are those who have gone through the fire of refinement. Before you can get into Eden, you need to go through that flaming sword there at the gate. And that flaming sword is the trials that the, the, the fire will cut out your flesh and you get into before you can get into there. And when the sons of God have gone through the flaming sword and eaten from the tree, of life, they then come back to earth and then release others and release the earth because the earth is in bondage. Our physical world is bondage, is prison. It's similar to, it's similar to hell where God puts the demons and Satan. But the problem is their own is permanent. Our own is temporary, okay? 
This is why, uh, you know, Apostle Paul said, do not focus on the things that are physical because they're temporary. Focus on the things of, of spirit because they're permanent. We're here for a time so our soul can be released from our prison. So these are the revelations the Lord is, has been giving me. And, uh, you know, it helps to be able to understand these things that is not about our, our, that's why the Bible keeps saying, die to self, die to self. Your self is your flesh. You need to die to your flesh. Crucify your flesh. That's um, a bit on the side. So where, where are we? Right, verse, verse 39. Verse 39 says, and many of the Samaritans um, of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified he, he told me all that ever I ever did. So verse 40 says, when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Okay. Because of his own word. So, you know, verse, um, that verse tells us that many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus. Because the woman had told them about Jesus. She said to them, he told me everything I ever did. That is intriguing enough for you to want to meet this person. So this is where personal testimonies comes in when you are sharing the gospel with someone. Share your personal experience and encounters with the spirit, you know, um, with the Holy Spirit of God. Initially, the woman told the villagers about Jesus. They believed her words. Because of her testimony, he told me everything I ever did. They believed her words, and then she invited them to come and meet him for themselves. So this is actually how evangelism should work. This is how evangelism should work. Okay, so the, the evangelism, you talk to uh, people about Jesus, but first of all, you need to have your own personal encounter with the Spirit of God. You need to have the spirit of God in you before you can actually share about him to other people. Okay. So, you know, some, some people will, they will have their own idea of um, Christianity because if they, if they hear that Jesus will take away all your problems, he will solve your problems, he will give you whatever you want, blah, 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 you know, then they will give their mind to Jesus, but not their heart. Okay, they will give their mind, they will just proclaim, they'll say words, and then they'll start calling themselves born again Christian. But meanwhile, there's nothing in their heart. So these are people who are not able to share the gospel because there's nothing to share. There's no spirit of God in you to help you to share the gospel. Because without the Holy Spirit in you, you can't share the gospel. You can't. Because you know, the Holy Spirit will act on the word you're speaking. You will act on the word you're speaking to be able to convict the person you're talking to. So when you have shared in a genuine encounter, you've had a genuine encounter with the Lord and you're sharing your, your experience with somebody and um, the Holy Spirit have convicted them, you then invite them to church. And when they come to church, they have an, if it's a, a living church, if it's a church where the spirit of God is actually moving and you see, you know, you see the character um, of love. You see the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. There is healing. There is deliverance. You can feel the movement of the Spirit in there. You know, 
they will have their own personal experience as well. In a, that is how churches should be. Churches should be a place where the Holy Spirit is, you know, moving, where people are getting their deliverance. When they come, they are delivered, they get the healing, they are discipled, they are mentored, and then they go out into the field to bring more, to bring more souls, to be discipled, to be healed, to be cleansed. This is, this is the work of the church. This is the work of the church. You know, the church is not meant to be a place where people will just come and sit. And then every Sunday they're listening to stories about whatever the pastor is talking about. No, a church is where you come to be healed, to be delivered, to be mentored, to be discipled. And then you go out in the field and do your own, do your own work. You bring them in, they are cleansed, they are delivered, they are healed. Then they go out and do their own. That is how Jesus said we should go out and make disciples of all nations. That is how you make disciples of all nations. You don't make disciples of all nations by coming into church and just sitting there. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. So let's continue. This is how evangelism is supposed to work. You share the gospel with people. You share your personal testimony with them. Those who believe you lead them to the Lord, you then invite them to the church to come and have their own personal encounters with the living Savior. When they come, if the church is a living church where the Holy Spirit has been allowed to function, manifesting his healing and deliverance, anointing, the person you have invited to church will now receive their healing and deliverance and breakthrough with those things that they have been struggling with for years. After this, they will be discipled and mentored in the ways of the Lord through Bible studies, worship, and prayers. This Samaritan woman has shown us the pattern of evangelism. Verse 40 tells us, when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. So verse 42 tells us, they then said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. Okay. So what happens with our own modern day evangelism? What do we see? These days, you know, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'll be kind. So these days, those who are brave enough to open their mouth and share their faith, they are lucky enough to convince one or two people and they are invited to church. When they do come to church, expecting to encounter this Jesus, this person told them about, instead of what they see, instead, what they see is a dead church, a dead church, no power of the Holy Spirit. No atmosphere of welcome and love. What you see is a, a, a man or woman who sees he or herself as the people's Messiah <laughs> standing in the pulpit, speaking, you know, talk, te telling stories, telling stories, which they call sermons. At the end of it, you know, at the end of it, it's about you know, paying your tithes and uh, paying your offerings 
and then you go home. You know, you go home. You go home in the same condition that you came in, sick as a dead donkey and full of demons. And you wonder why people feel the church is no longer relevant to their day, to their day-to-day -day lives. That's the experience we have, okay? That's the experience. But things are changing. Things are changing. God is doing something mightily in the realms of the spirit. And when he hits this earth, eh, ah, God help us. God help us. The Lord said the gates of Hades will not prevail against his church. He is raising up a remnant that will move and function in his full glory and holiness. Then the world will see that there is a living God in heaven. There is a living God in heaven. Okay. So in verse 43, after Jesus left Samaria, he traveled to Galilee, his original destination. Remember, this was where he was going before he stopped at, um, at the well in Samaria. So the, the, Galile the Galileans welcomed him for they had been in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration and had seen everything he did there. You know, so the Galileans welcomed him and they believed, they believed because of the miracles. They believed because of the miracles. Because of the miracles they saw him perform in Jerusalem during the Passover celebration. So verse 46, verse 46 here. Okay, so verse 46 tells us, as he traveled through Galilee, he came to Canaan, where he had turned the water into wine. There was a government of official in nearby Caponium, whose son was very sick. Verse 47, when he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come to Caponium to heal his son who was about to die. Okay, who was about to die. So this government official is a, um, a Roman officer in Herod's um, service. He worked, you know, this man, he heard about the miracles Jesus was performing in, uh, in Galilee and in Canaan. So he came seeking Jesus. Okay, he walked miles from Capernaum to Galilee to see Jesus. Okay, and if we read in, um, let's have a look at... Um, Let's look at uh, verse, um, let's read for uh, 46 again. So Jesus came again to Canaan of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain noble nobleman whose son was sick at Caponium. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and employed him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. 48, Jesus said, then Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will, you will by no means believe. Okay, you will be by no means believe. So what Jesus is saying is, why don't you believe me? Why don't you believe my word? Why don't you believe my word that I am the son of God? Why do you have to see signs and wonders before you believe? This is, you know, this is what Jesus is saying to them. You rely on signs and wonders before you can believe. And that is not a good thing because the devil's ministers can do signs and wonders as well. And this is the thing that is leading a lot of people into bondage. They see these signs and wonders and they think it's the Holy Spirit operating there. But when you go there, 
you're captured and your soul is holding bondage is the devil. Just like what the Bible is telling us that a lot of people will be deceived in this end times because what you see is not, it, it, it may not be the real thing, okay? This is why, you know, Jesus said in the scriptures, by the fruit, you will know them. It's not by the works, it's by the fruit. Your fruit is your character, the character of the minister, your virtue, you know? How loving and kind are you? How, how is the, the fruit of the spirit flowing from you? How patient are you? How persevering are you? That is what you should look at, not the signs and the wonders. If you focus on the signs and the wonders, you'll be led straight to hell. You'll be led straight to hell. So this is what Jesus is saying. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Okay? So in, in verse 49, the noble man said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. <laughs> this man didn't want to hear anything else but Jesus to come down and heal his son. That's what that matters to him. I don't know what he's talking about. And then verse 50, Jesus said to him, go, you, go your way. Your son, your, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went his way. Okay. He went his way. So this man had faith. He had faith. He had faith. So this government official, a Roman officer in Herod's service, he walked miles from Capernaum to Galilee to see Jesus. He addressed Jesus as Lord. He addressed Jesus as Lord. That is putting himself under Jesus, even though he had legal authority over Jesus because he was a Roman officer. So he had a legal authority over Jesus. He came with a humble heart. That's the thing. He came with a humble heart. And this is how we are required to approach God, with a humble and a repentant heart, a humble and repentant heart. And Jesus saw that humility in him and also saw the faith the man had. That was why he told him, go, your son lives. And the man believed and he went, he went. Okay, so verse 48, Jesus asks, you know, where are we? Yes, we've done that bit. So, you know, the officer pleaded, Lord, please come before my little boy dies. You know, from his pleading with Jesus, we can see the official had faith in Jesus' ability to heal his son. Jesus saw his faith and he said to him in verse 50, you know, then Jesus told him, go back home. Your son will live. And the man believed what Jesus said and started going home and started going home. So when the scripture tell, tells us that God sent his word and healed them, this is what Jesus did here. He sent his word and healed that boy. And the father believed. The way to know that the father believed was he turned back and started going home. He didn't stay there insisting that Jesus should follow him physically, okay? Jesus said the word, the father believed, and he turned going back home. <coughs> so this is how faith works. You receive the word of God and you act on the word you have received with your spirit. You act on the word you have received with your spirit. You know, Jesus promised him, that his son would live, the official believed that word of promise. 
He believed that word of promise that came from Jesus and acted on it by turning back and heading back home, by turning back. And I bet you was when he turned his way and started walking home, that was when his son was healed. If he had stood there and continued to insist that Jesus follow him, his son would not have been healed. <coughs> his son would not have been healed because that means he hasn't got the faith to receive that word. So he acted on the word Jesus gave him by turning back and heading back home. He did not stand there pleading for Jesus to follow him physically, but he believed the word Jesus gave him. This is how it should be with us as well. When we pray, we should believe and act on that promise we are standing on from the scriptures. Because these, uh, <coughs> these promises are the same as the promise Jesus made to the Roman official about his son's healing. Okay? About his son's healing. This um, government official not only believed Jesus could heal, but also obeyed by returning home. By returning home. His action demonstrated his faith. And this is the reason the book of James tells us faith without works. You know, without a corresponding action, it's a dead faith. So if, if, that, if when Jesus spoke, that man didn't act by turning and going home, he had no faith. And that word Jesus gave would have been nil and void. His son would not have been healed. His son. So it was the action of the father acting on the word that healed his son. And this is what the Lord is saying to us. When we see a promise in the Bible and we pray regarding that promise, because we are praying according to God's will, this is a promise God is giving you. So if God is giving you this promise, that means if you act on that promise and believe, you will receive it. This is why, you know, I, I think it's in, in Mark. Was it Mark eleven twenty three, Where Jesus said, if you pray, Believe that you have received what you have prayed for. So it is not, um, you know, what, what he's actually saying is when you pray, believe that God have heard you that time you prayed. And if God have heard you that time you prayed, you don't need to keep on repeating the same prayer over and over and over and over again. Because if you keep repeating the same prayer, over and over and over and over again, that means you don't believe and you will not get the answer to your prayer. That is what Mark eleven twenty four 24 is saying to us. So once you have prayed that prayer, believe that you have received it and just leave it as that. It doesn't matter how long it takes for that prayer to be answered. The main thing is you believe that you have received it and you believe that God have heard you. That's the most important thing. Once you have heard that God you know, once you believe that God has heard you, that settles the matter. That settles it. But you need to be aware of the conditions that will give you the answer to that prayer. And those conditions, if you look at uh, Mark 11, I think 25, he says, if you bear any unforgiveness in your heart, you better forgive all. Because God will not forgive you. And if God doesn't forgive you, you're not getting any answer to your prayers. 
This is the reason a lot of people don't see answers to their prayers. Every promise in this Bible has a condition attached to it. And if you do not meet that condition, you will not get answers. You will not get answers. Okay? So God is a God of orderliness. He has a system how things work. He has a principle of how he works. And you cannot just barge in and blah, 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 and do your own thing. No. Your own thing will not shift God, though. It will not shift him. Unless you do things his own way. There's no going there. But they don't preach this in the churches. They don't. That's why people are, you know, lost, lost, lost. So verse uh, 51 tells us, while the man was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. So verse 54 um, then says, no, verse uh, 52 then says, he asked them when the boy had begun to get better. And they replied, yesterday afternoon at one o'clock. You see? You see the time? Yesterday afternoon at one o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. Then the father realized that that was the very time Jesus had told him, your son will live. Okay? So what does this tell us? This tells us that it is the your point of prayer is the time you pray is when your prayer is answered okay is when your prayer is answered and what you will, you will then draw that's the answer to you is your faith your faith is what is like a magnet that will draw the package you know let me just tell you this let me share this you know, when we pray, God assigns angels to take the answer of our prayers to uh, the person that have prayed. And your faith is like a, a headlamp of a car that will direct the angels to the place where you are to deliver the answer to your prayer. Okay. So the, the reason I say this, this is a revelation the Lord gave me when I was ministering in the healing rooms about seven years ago, eight years ago, uh, a, a, a lady came into the, uh, our place of ministry and said that uh, she needs prayer for her mother who is on a, a, a kidney dialysis in hospital. Her kidney has failed and she needs a new transplant. So as we prayed for this new transplant, in the spirit, the Lord showed me an angel was carrying this kidney on a golden on a golden tray, on a golden tray. But instead of the angel, <laughs> it's funny now. Instead of the angel going to the hospital, the angel came and asked me, "Where is this hospital?" Eh? So I turned to the woman and said, "Where is the hospital?" <laughs> so she was trying to give me direction of where the hospital is. Then the poor angel, he just sat at my feet with this tray of kidneys. Do you know why? Because the woman we're praying for did not have any faith to draw, to show the, an the angel the location of where the kidney needs to be put. So because we prayed with faith, he followed our faith and came where we were. This is what the Lord told me. 
It's our faith that drew him to where we were. And you could see the sadness in this angel's face because he couldn't deliver his package. Your faith is very important. Okay. So I just wanted to share that. I just wanted to share that. So, um, so the father realized that that was the very time Jesus had told him, your son will live. So this verse here confirms what Jesus said to us in Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, I say to you, whatever you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. You will have them. So if you pray for something the first time and you keep going back, asking God for the same thing all the time, what it means, you did not believe God heard you the first time. This is what James referred to as a double-minded person. A double-minded person will not receive an answer to their prayer, you know, because of their double-mindedness. Because double-minded, that means you don't have the faith to receive it. And if you relate it to what I've just shared now about this angel, you see it's the same thing, okay? But there is a, a condition attached to our receiving answers to our prayers, which Jesus tells us in verse 24 to 26 of Mark 11 as well. And he says, whenever you start praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive if you do not forgive, neither will your father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Okay, so verse 51 have shown us that Jesus' miracles were not illusions. They weren't illusions. Although the officer's son was miles away. It was miles away from Galilee where Jesus was. He was healed when Jesus spoke. And that word, the father acted on that word. So our words are transporters. Our words are transporters that carry the seed we wish to plant in someone's life. It could be a seed of life or a seed of death. This is um, the reason the Bible tells us in Proverbs 18.21, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. So what I'm saying here is uh, words are very powerful. Words are containers that contain the seed. So when you speak a word, whether it's a word of life or whether it's a word of death, death being cursed, whatever you're speaking that thing to, it will bring whatever it is you're speaking. If you're speaking life, and life is only in the word of God, that's where you will find life, in the word of God, okay? But if you're speaking the word of curses, negative words, that seed you're speaking will also come. So this is why people should not speak negative about their body or about their sickness or about their finances or ill health because it's a seed. And that seed you have spoken is the plant you're going to get, is what you're going to get, okay? So just like Jesus had dominion over physical elements to create wine, Jesus had dominion in the realms of the spirit. Distance was no problem because he had dominion not only over disease, but also over time and space. 
what Jesus is showing us and demonstrating to us with the full power of the Holy Spirit functioning in us believers, born again believers, we can function this way as well. Okay, we can function this way as well. Because at creation, God gave Adam dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We were, you know, meant to subdue them. We were meant to subdue them. Another thing I want to say is uh, when God gave dominion to Adam, it wasn't a physical world he gave him dominion. It was in the spirit he gave him dominion, okay? In the spirit, we have a parallel earth. As I said to you before, this earth is a prison. When Adam sinned, his, his soul was, you know, before he sinned, his soul was the, promin the prominent part of him. He became a living soul. So his soul is a spirit. So he was functioning in the spirit. But when he sinned, he ate that, he, he, he ate from that tree of um, um, the knowledge of good and evil. That is actually Satan's tree. Tree gives knowledge. So that particular tree was Satan's spirit in there. So when he ate that, the soul shrank and the physical came out and trapped the soul. So this, this, this is a trap, it's a prison. The real you is your spirit and your soul. That is the real you. And that real you is immortal, it doesn't die. So that's why you need to sort out where you want to go when you die. Okay, so these are the powers the Lord has given us. And once we become born again, and we go through our trials, we, 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 you know, and the Lord has anointed us and given us that power. We can take back that dominion. This is why you can deliver demons. You have powers over demons. You have powers over principalities and powers. You have powers over them. But the problem is we don't realize that this is why the Lord says lack of knowledge is what is killing us. Lack of knowledge is what is killing his people, okay? But he's a merciful God. He's showing, he's showing his people. He's teaching them. The devil has no power over you. It's only the power you give the devil. That's what he has. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. I think I've talked enough, but we I still got loads of pages. Eh? We cannot mute now. Yeah, you can unmute, but I haven't really finished. I still got about three or four pages, but I think that's enough. I don't want mm. to do overload. <laughs> Hallelujah. I think that was a lot of information to take in. Mm. But I feel the Lord wanted me to, you know, speak on, on, on those issues, especially on the faith and things like that, and evangelism as well. Okay. Mm. And evangelism. Okay, any questions? We've already exceeded our one hour, so we have three hours done. Okay, what I will do before we, we do the next session, you know, at the next session, I will do those other two or three pages I didn't manage to put in. Okay, okay, well done. Well done. All, right. all right, ladies. As I said, next week, not next week, in two weeks' time, we're going to go through. 13 questions that have generated from chapter 1, 3,
chapter one, two, three, and four before we go on to chapter five. And some of the questions will be, you know, as a forerunner, what was John the Baptist um, Baptist required to do? And then what does it mean to be word of God? Why must we be born again before we can see the kingdom of God? And what does water baptism signify in the Christian faith? And why must we be baptized? And also, why must we worship in spirit and in truth? Can you worship in the spirit without the Holy Spirit? Why were the disciples surprised that Jesus talked to the woman at the well? What does it mean that God is spirit? What did, jo what did Jesus mean by harvest? How would the sun be like the snake in the wilderness? Okay. And then why did John write his gospel? So what would we what did we learn about evangelism from chapter four? And who was Jesus referring to as the living water? Okay, so that's quite simple question just to get us discussing. Okay. This uh, is it being is it recorded? Yeah, actually I think I should stop the recording. No, but, yeah, but let me the question. 